We're back. This is episode number 14 with Patrick Satori. Pat is a former goalkeeper trainer for Footy Factory, goalkeeper for FF Premier, and graduate of West Texas A&M, where he set the single-season record for clean sheets and also the career record for all-time clean sheets in just three seasons with the program. Now he's back home in Australia playing semi-professionally, and we're looking forward to catching up and seeing what he's up to these days. It's been about five, six months since he left us here in Dallas to go back home to Australia. Pat offers a lot of really, really wonderful insight and advice to young players um, and how to approach their development, you know, for him specifically as a goalkeeper, but really it applies to players of any level, any position, and he really just touches well on the mentality, the mindset that it takes uh, from a personal and social aspect to play at the highest level. So the audio gets a little bit choppy again on this episode. I apologize for that, guys. It looks like it's a technical hurdle that we may not be able to overcome for this quarantine period, but hopefully it's not too distracting to you and you're still able to get a lot out of it. If you do, please send us your feedback. Your feedback is valued. So, hope you guys enjoy. Patty, mate. Hey, Chauncey. Hey, not much. Just hanging out. It's, uh... We we finally did it. Yeah, yeah, we finally did it. We've been overdue. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we've been chasing each other for about a month, I feel like now. You were supposed to be like episode four, I think. And uh we just we just been going back and forth. We finally made it happen. We had a couple of technical issues on one. So hopefully that doesn't happen again here. But um yeah, glad you're here. What's going on? Yeah. How's life? Uh not much. Uh this one's gonna be a winner, so don't worry about that. Uh, life's good besides the quarantine obviously yeah uh just making it work i'm sure everyone's in the same boat but yeah Yeah. i mean it's just how you look at it it's a different perspective uh for everyone in terms of you know changing all their livelihoods and how we normally live so uh you know it's actually nice to get a bit of time away from everything obviously not too much time away everything in moderation but uh actually enjoying uh, a little bit of solitude for once and just um, being able to do the things I like to do, uh, not all the things I like to do, but uh, some of the things I've liked to do and kind of neglected because I've always been busy. So yeah, yeah I get to do things like this and uh, just things I've been neglecting for a while. So it's nice. I totally agree, man. I've actually, you know, definitely felt like this whole thing was a blessing in disguise for us all if we choose to look at it that way. But yeah, there are definitely some things that, you know, we uh, took for granted that whenever we're able to access them them or enjoy them again, um, you know, we definitely have to make sure we fully appreciate them. So, uh, you know, for those that are listening that don't know Pat, Pat is a former goalkeeper trainer for Footy Factory and player for FF Premier. And uh, he sadly just recently moved out of the U.S., back home to Australia, where he currently is. Where exactly are you at? Uh, I'm in Melbourne, so right down the bottom of Australia. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's actually voted the most livable city in the world. So, really, year on year. How do they determine? Uh, I think it's like some board ranking. I feel like the board's based in Melbourne because they get it every year. So uh, <laughs> apparently they go around to every city and just judge them based off of like uh, living costs and quality of life and healthcare and just things like that. So yeah, apparently I'm living in the best city in the world. So it's actually well, worked out pretty well. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. I know that there's been uh, some you know, fires and stuff recently, How has that all cleared up? Is everything back to normal? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about Australian fires is it's usually only three months of the year, December, January, February, you might get some in March. So this is a uh, right- but yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a regular thing. I mean, it happens every year. What, what they often do is they often burn off um, large sections of dangerous territory that way that you know, it's already been burned off, so it can't go up in flame as much mm-hmm. because it's been burnt off before. So they'll do a lot of tactical burns. Uh, the thing about the last one was it was just so vicious that it never been like that before. There was just way too many fires for the people that were dealing with them. There are all these volunteers and all these people just working insane hours just to try and keep this uh, down as much as possible. So, I mean, yeah, it really took its toll. There was smoke in all the cities, just a smoky haze just sitting there every day for like a month. Uh, and they often compared it to going outside. It was like packing, uh, smack, smoking a packet of cigarettes uh, a day, like if you exercised in it. So, oh, so uh, luckily that was only short term. Yeah. Um, do, they, do they have you wearing masks? Like, was that necessary? No, uh, that wasn't necessary. You just encouraged to exercise indoors. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of like a pre-quarantine before it all started. Yeah. I guess they were getting everyone warmed up for it. Yeah, uh, so. already. Yeah, but um, I mean, yeah, it was really bad. But it's one of those things. It's very short term. Uh, the the damage it did to wildlife was probably the worst part compared to humans. Uh, there was just a ton of wildlife destroyed that had never really been hit that hard before so no it it was tough and it took its toll but uh we won't run into that again for at least uh like eight months but whenever we do it's just with global warming and everything it's tough to see if it's going to keep on going each year worse and worse that's kind of the worry so we'll, we'll have to cross that bridge when it comes but hopefully it's not as bad as uh last year's bias what is it exactly that causes it? Uh, well, it's just the severe heat and just anything that sparks up a fire during that heat. Uh, the, the, pro- the biggest issue is we have eucalyptus leaves here and they're very oily and flammable. So if they catch a light and you have a eucalyptus tree, it's almost like a bomb going off. Because the the tree has so many leaves on it and it just can basically catch fire and kind of like explode. And then it just causes this fire to just magnate and increase in philosophy, velocity like, like no other just because of these eucalyptus trees. And there's just a lot of very flammable trees and nature out here. And Australia is a very 
uh, it's a very green and natureful place. So uh, it's just very vulnerable to it, really. Hmm. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully it's not as bad. So do you, uh, have you found a place to live? Are you um, still with parents or what's the situation? Uh, no, I'm living with some friends right now. So we've got our own place and nice. it's just short term right now, but then we'll have a, a permanent place shortly. So we're trying to hold out for as long as possible uh, just because, you know, rent prices are most likely going to fall. So yeah. the longer we can wait, you know, we can get in at a cheaper price. So that's also pretty handy. So you're um, but yeah, I'm just... Type of thing. Uh, what's that? Sorry. So you're just on a month to month type of thing right now? Yeah, month to month. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, we're just looking for a permanent place and we'll have it pretty soon, I reckon. Nice, nice. So I know that you are originally, you were born in the US and you grew up in Boston. You stayed, you actually lived in the US for a good chunk of your life. How old were you when you moved to Australia? Uh, I was 10 years old when I moved to Australia. Oh, man. So, yeah, uh, grew up in North Carolina for about six years and then moved up to Boston for four. So um, basically my soccer story with regards to that, because I know what that's the, the important part here and what people are here to listen to. Um, I started playing uh, soccer when I was about five, uh, just in a bunch of rec leagues. I, I don't even remember most of it, honestly. Uh, and then started playing when I was five and then moved uh, and kept on playing the whole way through my, my time in Boston up until 10. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just something that I was always drawn to. I used to do gymnastics to complement that. So those were kind of my two sports really growing up because my dad is a really good gymnast. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was basically my, my upbringing was just those two sports, which I think, you know, gymnastics complements any sport extremely well just with uh injury prevention and flexibility and just understanding how the human body works i don't think there's really a better sport than gymnastics for that i think i learned how to how to break a fall and how to control my body a lot better than than most kids because of that so it, it really did give me a competitive advantage even though I was terrible at gymnastics and I was never going to get a, a career out of it, I just think the the basic principles I kind of always took with me for life. So I was actually really good that I did complement the two. Um, but yeah, I basically only played in uh, rec league. So it wasn't that competitive. Once I started getting to eight, nine, uh, I was always, the, the thing was, I was always the best player in my team. Um, playing in these leagues which isn't a good thing uh, as I'll probably touch on a bit later uh, but I was the best player in the team I'd play half the game up front playing striker and then I'd play half the game in goal just because I liked playing the positions that required the most responsibility either end of the field so yeah that part was great and then uh once I moved to Australia, I kind of got a bit of a rude awakening. Uh, tried out for this team, and it was actually a really good team for the area. Competitive team, similar to um, like academy level in 
in in America. Basically, the highest level you can play as a youth player at my age. So I tried out for this team, and they they were really good. And I was trying to play up front like I always did in America. And I went to a couple of sessions, and they were just like, "Oh, you're crap." I'm like, "Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Not gonna work <laughs> for you here, bud." Yeah, they're like, "Oh, you're crap." So they were basically were like. Um, I mean, the the good news for you is you're reasonably athletic. Uh, have you ever played in goal? And I was like, yeah, I actually did play a little bit in America. It uh, wasn't really my, my forte, but uh, I'll give it a go. So I uh, decided to, to put the gloves on for the first time, I think when I was 11, 10 or 11. And yeah, I never looked look back after that that was the beginning of the end so yeah I mean I got to play in this really good team uh playing goal and I I just started to love it and really immerse myself in it and then uh came to I think 11 and 12 years old and I'd been you know playing in goal for a couple years now and I hadn't really had any goalkeeper specific training and that's really what what sets most goalkeepers apart, especially at a, at any age. But uh, as you get older and older, it's all about what you're doing during goalkeeper training because it's such a technique uh, based position and completely different to any other position on the field. So you have to have that specific training to specialize uh, in in your role and be the best version that you can be. So when I turned about eleven or twelve. I got hooked up with this uh, goalkeeper coach and that's when I really started to improve a lot because he was able to just teach me things that I wasn't really getting at club level. Whilst Australian coaching was good, uh, it it didn't really help goalkeepers that much. It was just all focused on the players. So I didn't have that specific training until I was about 12. So once I got it, I mean, my learning curve just got really uh, steep. So, I mean, it was good and it really challenged me. And if I hadn't done all that, uh, I wouldn't have amounted to much. So, yeah, started getting goalkeeper training at 12 and then started moving to more clubs. Always was playing in the, the top league. Uh, so that, that was always, uh, the biggest thing for me was I was very competitive from a young age. I, I didn't really like taking a backseat ever or, uh, you know, missing out on things. I, I always tried my hardest and, uh, I actually started to get rewarded with a lot of my hard work. They have this thing in Australia called, uh, the state team. So there's seven states and territories in Australia and, they all compete at the end of the year against each other and all the states are divided up. Really the only three states that actually compete, or maybe I should say four states, uh, Western Australia, Victoria, where I live in Melbourne, New South Wales and Queensland. So those are really the only four that compete properly. Um, the others just don't really have the, the population or the, the coaching or the access. I mean, they, they'll, they'll show up, but they won't cause... Um, those big four many problems yeah so I was in Victoria it, it, yeah is that for all age groups yes so that goes all the way up until 15 okay uh 
So, yeah, there's a under 12 and then under 13, and it just keeps on progressing for that. And that's so, probably the biggest competition there is in Australia for youth soccer. Yes. I mean, you obviously play for your club. So you'll play 20 or 24 games a season between March till September. So you'll you'll grind that out. And then once uh, – I mean, during that, uh, usually around – I think they go in like October, but they have all the trials throughout the whole year. So it's it's like the longest trialing process. It's like remember Nike the Academy. <laughs> it's it's like literally that same concept with the whole scouting. Like you'll start off really small. You'll have like your district trials, so you'll go to that, and obviously that'll be really easy because there's not many great players. And then you'll go to like a zone, which will have multiple districts in it. And then they'll go to like a statewide tryout. Uh, and that kind of just runs on for weeks. You know, they have a ton of players there and they just week on week just start trimming people. And it, it was cool back then because it was like old school. So, you know, you didn't have all this technology around where they'd post who made the team online and yada, yada, yada. Like, you know, they told you to your uh, face. <laughs> they'd, they'd have a clipboard and there'd be like a list of names at the end of the day. And they'd be like, these guys are continuing on. Everyone else, thank you for your time. Uh, on your way. So, uh, yeah, it, it was cutthroat, but it was good because yeah. that's how it should be. That's the, uh, that's so, the professional environment there. You got to get used to it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, the, the good part for me was I was trying out for this uh, when I was 14. And yeah, I mean, I, I started to do really well that year and really got a lot of confidence and I made it all the way to the state trials. And I think there were only four keepers left, me included in that. And they only took two. Uh, so, I mean, oh. to, to do that for the, for the state at my age group was, was a massive achievement. I mean, Melbourne's a city of five million people, so it, it took a lot to get that far. For sure. So just to put it in perspective, how many goalkeepers, like obviously you didn't see what was happening in the other districts as you worked through the rounds, but how many would goalkeepers would you estimate there were that in total were trying out to make that state team? Oh, I'd say at least 200. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just based off all the districts and zones and everything. But yeah, I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot of goalkeepers from all over the state. Um, just everyone wanted to be a part of this because it wasn't it wasn't really a big money factor. Like they didn't charge you much to be on this. I think it was like four hundred bucks or whatever it was, and you get to go away for this insane tournament, stay in a hotel for like weeks, and just live like a really good lifestyle and be on this team training multiple times a week. So it was Work. more like. Yeah, this was just like a prestigious thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, er everyone wanted to be in it. And the fact I got to the final, you know, four keepers was, was pretty sweet. So I, um, you know, was pushing for that, that those two spots. And I ended up becoming the emergency choice. So the good thing for me was I was able to train with that team all the way up until they left. So, you know, I got really good exposure through that because a lot of guys in that that team actually went on to have really good careers. I know one guy's playing in China right now. There's 
quite a few of them scattered across the A-League. So these were kids who went on to go and do things um, in this team. So, you know, just being able to train with them and get that exposure and also still train at club level. I mean, I just, I grew a lot during that time. So yeah, that was, that was massive for me and uh, something that really gave me confidence going forward. Cause after playing with that team and going back to your club level, you just have this new kind of confidence that, you know, this, the level I've been playing at is way higher than club level. So I shouldn't yeah. even be nervous or worried about stepping into these games. Because now all of a sudden you're one level higher, you know, you just made that jump by just getting that little bit of a taste of that experience. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's like the building blocks when you're young. Uh, you have to keep on building, but you can never really look back and just be like, oh, you know, look how good I was here in Neds. You just got to keep on building. And like even now, being my age, 25, like uh, when all this is over, I want to start playing again. And I'm not looking back at what I've done. You know, this is a new chapter. Like you have to just always look forward and you can't, you know, dwell on previous success because it means nothing. Um so, I mean, for growing from that, uh, I started to work my way into first team football. So how it works in Australia is you'll play club football in your own age group until you're like 15, 16. Uh, if you're good anyways, if you're not great, you'll play all the way up until 18. Um, but what, what you want to do from there is try and get connected with a first team. So playing with men, these guys are paid players. Some of these players are getting paid enough that that's all they live on. So um, it, it's it's quite a few of these people's livelihoods and you're stepping into a different environment, you know, only being 15 or 16. So, I mean, that, that exposure is insane. And, and that's kind of something that I think sets uh america and australia apart and america and so many different countries I don't, I don't think you grow enough playing in your own age group i think it's really important to have that exposure to to older players i think you've touched on it before with you know when you went to college and you were playing with like 25 26 year olds and they were just you know way smarter in different yeah. stages of their career i think the the earlier you can get that exposure to playing with all the better players than you, um, the the better off you'll be. Absolutely, yeah. If you, because once you get to eighteen, you're going to college or you're, you know, hope maybe even a professional at that point. When you get to that age, you're not playing against other eighteen year olds. There's not actually going to be many other people your age. You're going to be playing mostly against late twenties, even into their thirties. Those are those are full grown men. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, if, if you're physically able to handle a higher, a higher level, an older age, you should be challenging yourself and trying to, you know, get as much experience playing with older boys that you can because it just makes you play that much faster and gets you more prepared to play at that level. Yeah, definitely. And it's the, the whole culture as well. It's being in the change room with them after – um, there was like a rule everyone had to shower after training and then they'd put on a meal as well. So it was like not just something you show up to and you just leave straight after and 
don't even speak to anyone. You know, it was, it was like a club. It was a family. So you'd show up and you'd have these, you know, 25, 30-year-old guys, um, you know, giving you a hard time just being a kid. But yeah. it, it was all part of it, you know, like yeah. you knew you were stepping into a senior dressing room and you had you were a boy and you had to become a man. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a maturity thing. So uh, I started getting into it when I was 15. I played for under 21 team uh, and then had some exposure with the first team. And then that year I was turning 16. Uh, I started to get onto a team. I actually got onto a first team. So I was the second choice keeper on that team uh, for the whole season. And that's really when I got some great exposure to being in that kind of environment. You know, the training was really good. Uh, I had a really good goalkeeper coach in Premier Football Tuition. Uh, so I, learned, I was learning tons through them. Uh, so I was getting in, you know, four or five sessions a week often of uh, really good training and games, obviously, and really starting to grow as a player. So I made my first team debut when I was 16 for this team because the, uh, the first choice keeper got hurt. So I stepped in, played a game, uh, had a clean sheet on the debut. What? We won 4 0. I ha- actually had a, a bit to do. So it, it turned out all right. Even what? It was 4 0. What's that? Sorry? I said you're an absolute star. <laughs> well, I mean, then next week we had another game and I started and we ended up losing 5 0. Oof. But... <laughs> brought, brought back down the yeah. on that one. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's soccer for you. It's, you know, it comes in waves. So, you know, it felt great. We we were buzzing. And then we went away to this, like, country team and they just, oh, they walloped us. Yeah. Uh, It it wasn't even a game. So, I mean, yeah, it's all part of it. It it was really good to get that exposure. So once I heard, once I played those uh, first two games, um, you know, people started to hear, and Premier Football Tuition, the academy I was working with, were bringing in a A-League goalkeeper coach to run some sessions. And he was looking for a, a keeper to bring in uh, to his team. So I was, the, the team was Brisbane Raw. Uh, and they were the best team in the A-League. They had the best coach, uh, Ange Postacoglu who's gone on to, he, he actually was the Australia head coach for the 2014 World Cup when Tim Cahill scored the best volley that the world's ever seen. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, he's gone on to coach in the, the J-League now. Uh, I think he won the league in the J-League last year. So th- this guy's a real deal. He, a lot of Australian soccer at that time were, was all based off of the Dutch style of playing, so that four three three, wing is high and wide, um, you know, similar to Barcelona. It, 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 everyone wanted to play that way, uh, and especially at at A League level because A League is A League's similar to MLS where they're trying to promote the young players to try and get them overseas, but it's also a pretty technical league, and it's very. Uh, very fast paced and there's a lot you know every team tries to play out really from the back kind of play out at all costs I mean I remember being told when um, 
seeing these A-League teams play and talking to keepers, they were saying, you know, I'm told I'm never allowed to kick it long. If I'm going to go long, the only player I can find is a fullback. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was like a different style that, you know, compared to the rest of the world uh, in terms of, of playing that they really focused on. So, uh, this, anyways, this, this coach came out uh, and he was looking for a goalkeeper. So he put a couple sessions on, uh, went to one of them, and I did really well. And he, he really liked me and was like, wow, uh, I'd love for you to, to come and trial for Brisbane Roar. We're looking for a fourth choice keeper. So they would be playing for the youth team uh, and you'd be working with the first team. So obviously this was a huge deal for me at the time. I think they were like a three-star team on FIFA to yeah. kind of put that in perspective. Yeah, you, so they were good. You got to take that opportunity for sure. Oh yeah, this this was really looking back on it. Uh, when you know I had my chance of going professional, this was one. Th- this was the biggest chance. This this was it. What was the division that your team before played in? Uh, so they played in Division Two. So okay, it goes you know Premier Division, Division One, Division Two. So kind of really Tier Three. So that you know, that's still a really good league. Yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of can do five before it starts to get a bit crap, uh, just because you know there's no college over here. So you know, you're not losing a bunch of players to college. This this is the only place right. people can play in. Is is these leagues here in in Australia is um, the top state league uh, tiers. So this is. This is, um, it gets really good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I got off of that trial, I think, uh, for a week and a half was total period. Uh, so I went up there, stayed in a hotel that they put me up in, uh, up to Brisbane and started trialing with this team. Uh, I remember just going in the first day into that change room. I was just shaking. <laughs> I was so nervous. Like, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd worked at that point. That's the only thing I liked doing was playing soccer. That's the only thing I thought I could do. So this was kind of like my whole life just built into yeah. one moment, you know? So I was so nervous. I was shaking. Uh, even though I tried to calm myself down, it just, it wasn't working. Um, you know, the, I, I tried like listening to music before the, before I showed up. And that that didn't even work. So, um, you know, everything I tried wasn't working. So I was like, oh, it's going to be tough. And um, I got there and I started getting introduced to some of the first team players. And it was just a surreal moment because, you know, a lot of these guys I've seen on TV and they're like introducing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys I've seen on TV and they're like introducing themselves (laughs) and being all friendly. And I'm just like, yeah. I already know who you guys are. I don't know why you're like introducing yourselves like, you know, somebody new, but they're obviously just being polite. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a surreal experience. And then we got on the pitch, started training. And I mean, the level was just so fast. Like it was way, 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 way quicker than anything I'd ever experienced before. So 
um, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't quick enough to be playing at that age, uh, at that level, just due to my age. When you stepped into that first session, were you fully involved in all of like you know the match play type of activities? Was it mostly just focusing on the technical side of the goalkeeping training? How how involved were you in those sessions in the very beginning? Uh, so fr- from the start, we just did goalkeeper sessions. And then at the end, they'd always come into like small-sided or something competitive. So uh, I'd be with the keepers at the start. And the keepers, one of them had just come back from Norwich. He was the starting keeper there. And I think they lost like 7-0 on debut, on his debut. Jeez. Uh, and like the season ticket holders were coming onto the field and throwing their tickets at him. And he just had had like the worst experience ever. Like, and he'd worked so hard for so many years in Australia to get overseas. Um, so I felt bad for the so he got guy. And he's one actually... chance at Norwich, one chance, and he was done. Well, yeah, I mean, that was it. I mean, he had a terrible game too. Wow. Like, if you ever watched the, the, the replay of it, like, that was it. And after that, he got, um, he got benched. And uh, the head coach actually stuck up for him. He was like, oh, you know, it is goalkeeping. It happens. Uh, it, this is a part of it. And then the head coach got sacked two weeks later. No. And they brought in a new guy. And the new guy had seen the game, obviously. He was like, yeah, this keeper's never going to play for us again. Um, <laughs> Ouch. And obviously, yeah, it was the first game of the season, the championship. So, um, you know, it was, a, it was a big deal to be losing 7-0 at home. Yeah. So, because yeah, I mean, which is a team that should be in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean they are now. Yeah, uh, I'm saying like so, time. You know, they they should be at the top of the championship. They shouldn't be losing a game seven zero at all. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So, yeah, I mean he'd come back kind of licking his wounds to Australia, but the good thing for Brisbane was they just won the championship last year, so they were the best team. Uh, in Australia at that time. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, he just won the Silverware FM, and then they had a ton of players who'd played in the Champions League. I mean, they had a guy who had, like, 100 caps in the Bundesliga. Because uh, how, how it works is you often get, like, these A-League teams are comprised of usually 15, 16 Australians, and then you'll have maybe 10 foreigners who will all be European. And they've all got a ton of experience playing in the Bundesliga and, and coming to the twilight of their careers. And they just want to come to Australia for a piss-up or, um, like, the lifestyle. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that, that, that's usually how the teams are comprised. But these, these players who've played it in the European leagues are just different level. You know, just the way they tick, the way they hold themselves. Uh, I mean, it's... It's one thing watching it on TV, but it's another thing seeing it actually unfold in front of you. And, you know, you, you are having to deal with that and try and, um, try and you know, block their shots, obviously. So, yeah, I mean, just the amount of deception they can have, the body angles, uh, it's just all the little things. They, they don't miss a beat. Yeah. Um, it's just what they've been doing their whole life. And the, the only thing they know, well, you know, that's really how humans are supposed to be is to focus on one thing and just perfect it and show that to the rest of the world. Um, 
that's what every soccer player wants to do. But obviously, you know, only a few select can do that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this trials just kept going on. So the, the first week, I'd say I didn't do too great. I did all right. And then the second week, I played in two games, not for the first team, but for the youth team. Still trained it for the first team. And I, I started to do really well. Um, you know, even the goalkeeper coach and um, some of the other players came up to me after some of the sessions and they said, hey, like, well done. You know, th- this is exactly what we've been looking for, yada, yada, yada. Uh, you know, really impressed today, things of that nature. So, I mean, I, I finally had started to, to find my balance there because, you know, I think the initial shock was a lot uh, in terms of a jump in level. But once I started to get into the rhythm and knew what was required every day, I think I was starting to do really well. And then it came to the last session and he said he was going to have a chat with me on what the future plans were going to be. And he sat me down and he said, look, um, we'd love to have you stay, but, you know, unfortunately we're looking for a keeper right now that could push, you know, the number three and he could maybe even get on the bench. And he's like, I don't think you're there yet. In terms of the, the biggest issue for me was I wasn't good enough playing out the back at that level. Uh, so finding fullbacks in the small side of it as well, just I wasn't as quick as the other keepers. But in terms of shot stopping, he said, you know, you're right there. You're, you're same level, if not better than... than um, the, the fourth choice keeper. So, uh, I mean, you know, it was, it was a bit devastating really, but I didn't really look at it that way. I looked at it as I was just happy to have that experience. And I thought that, you know, I could really push on from that. So, uh, yeah, I flew back to Melbourne and then started getting ready for the next season. Uh, and then the next season I signed on as a number two for the second best club in Melbourne. So in the top division, uh, and they were called Oakley Cannons. And yeah, I mean, this this kind of was a similar situation to the A-League team, where if you have like a ton of European backpackers, uh, they had no limits back then either on how many foreign players you could have. So there was just a ton of European backpackers. Uh, you know, the best Australian players, kind of like a division one college but older and you don't train as much um or even a division two college so uh yeah started training with this team um was the second choice keeper got to play a couple games that season and then we actually had a friendly because we were you know the best team one of the best teams in melbourne uh we actually had a friendly against melbourne victory who is another A-League club uh, in their preseason. So, you know, I was sat on the bench for that game and the, the first choice keeper was like, mate, I can't be bothered playing today, really. Uh, he's like, I've had a stressful week at uni and, um, you know, this game looks really stressful. But he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say my shoulder really hurts and then uh, midway through the game, I'm going to... Uh, you know, just come off with a shoulder injury. And I was like, yeah, good one. Because he was always a jokester. 
And he'd always say crap like oh, this, like even, every day. You didn't even believe him. No, I didn't believe him. So <laughs> there's like, you know, 3,000, 4,000 people at this game. It's like a really pressure game. It's a friendly, but just the exposure everyone's getting is massive. Um, so mentally, and... you're not expecting to go in at all at any point in the game, despite him saying that to you. I, I don't know. I always had, like, in my head, I was always prepared to play. Okay. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I was always – that's how I always sat on the well, bench. Well, sure. You know, if you're going to sit on the bench. Yeah, yeah, you have to. You have to for sure. But realistically, you weren't really expecting to get on in that game. No, no. <laughs> so he got he goes up for a cross, the cheeky guy, and uh, catches this cross, throws it out, and um, – after he throws it, he just starts grabbing his shoulder and just falls down. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah she did it. <laughs> and uh, so he's just, like, lying on the ground, like, screaming in pain. It's like, oh, here we go. And coach just looked at me straight away. He's like, get warm. So I did a couple sprints. Didn't even really have much of a warm-up. That was the worst part. Like, I was just kicking the ball about at the start of the game, warming him yeah. up because he was supposed to play the whole game. Uh, and then now, next thing I, I know, I'm getting chucked in against the professional side, and the game's nil-nil, and it's like this 20th minute. I'm like, oh, here we go. So I got chucked in, and, like, my first involvement in the game was, like, I got this back pass, and, like, I was getting pressed straight away, and I didn't have, like, time to – I had time to take one touch, and then – it was like on the left side of my body. Um, I thought, oh, I'm just going to kick this out of play because I don't want to end up copying a goal in my first involvement. Going to kick it out of play, and I found the fullback like over this other player. Oh, really? Somehow with the left foot. So it looked like a, a mat. yeah, with the left foot. So it looked like a sick yeah. pass. And um, and my my coach is just from the sideline, just giving me a big thumbs up, like great start. I'm like, oh yeah, totally meant start. to do that. <laughs> so yeah uh i was just one of those things at that time i was like oh you know you got to ride your luck yeah, a little bit yeah. here and there. you gotta play um, it off i mean you're not gonna act like you didn't mean to do it no 100 <laughs> um, percent. and then the the game progressed i actually ended up having a really good game and uh we lost i think three nil in the end we actually kept them to nil nil for 60 minutes and then they started to bring some of the big guns off of the bench. Uh, and, yeah, we just – we got destroyed yeah. at that point. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's just how it is. That's how I find – like, I've played against quite a few, you know, professional teams, like that North Texas team as well. Uh, like, we – I played them uh, – what was it, 2019 at the start of the year? And, like, started off, game was pretty cagey. And then it gets to, like – the 80th minute or the 70th minute and they'll just bring a couple of players off the bench and they'll just end up just lighting us up. changes the you game. Know? Yeah, exactly. They just have that, that injection yeah. off of the bench is what I find. So but, you, um, the, you were 18 at that time? Yeah, I just turned 18. So that was a big pressure cooker game and I actually was just uh, doing like year 12, finishing up everything. And I had, this is kind of when I started looking at coming to America for the first time. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go there. 
like, why would I want to go play in America? So I told my parents and they were like, well, you know, like, it'll be good because you can get like a scholarship and yada, 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 you know, that typical speech. But I didn't want to go at all. Like, I was having a good time. I was getting trials with Melbourne City at the time, uh, which is like Manchester City's affiliate team and their professional team in in, uh, Melbourne. And they were like, yeah, but, you know, you've been kind of in and out of the system for years now and you've never really landed a contract. They thought the best thing for me was to try and chase down one of these uh, one of these colleges and try and get a really good education and go from there. You know, because I'm an American citizen as well, it's easy for me to, to go back and do all that. Um, but yeah, I really didn't want to go. And the, the hardest part for me was they started, you know, reaching out to colleges for me. They went through an agent and I didn't want like any involvement in this. I guess I was just really stubborn at the time. I didn't really understand the big picture of what college was. Um, and I thought I was building something good, you know, in Melbourne and progressing up the ranks and playing for some really good teams. Uh, and I, I didn't want to do it. So eventually they said, look, we're, we're moving to Newcastle, which is a city of like 11 hours from here. And there's not as much soccer. Uh, like we're going to move there and you're either coming with us or you're going to play in America. Really? You're an ultimate. All right. Yeah, I mean, the thing was, the family had been great for so long in terms of, you know, always driving me all these trainings. I think any successful kid, uh, you know, needs that, their the family backing them. So, I mean, they were there for the whole time. I think they were just fed up by the time of 18, 19. They were like, you know, this is your deal now. You have to start sorting yeah. your own life up, which yeah. is fair enough, you know. You kind of need that, that tough love. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I started looking for college. Well, I didn't even start because I didn't want to go. So I still thought I could stay in Melbourne. So, you know, they started looking for colleges for me. And I started to, I got like a call from a Santa Barbara coach. I think it was like a really good division two in mm-hmm. California. And I just blew him off. I was just like, uh, he was telling me about his college. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> That's kind of all I really said to him because I, I didn't want to go. It's just like so stupid looking back on it. Uh, you know, I could have at least shown some interest and see what they had to offer. You know, it was just all yeah. over the phone. Um, and I kept getting all these calls from all these coaches and just they were like just trying to gauge my interest. What and, kind of um, uh, I just what wasn't kind of service it. were you using to connect with these schools? It was like a, a scouting agency. So you know, they see how good you are as a player and then they try and match you up with colleges that they have connections with or can get in contact with. Uh, you know, looking back on it, you don't really need any of these agencies. You can kind of just reach out to a ton of colleges yourself. Obviously, it helps. But, yeah, someone else vouch yeah, for I mean, you always, you know, means more. But if you have video of yourself and you're proactive, you can make things happen for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I didn't really know how college worked. I honestly thought it was a step below where I was playing at. So that was kind of the biggest thing for me and on on why I didn't want to go. It's like, why take a step down, do this for four years, 
when, you know, I'm getting looks in with professional teams and playing for really good clubs here in Melbourne. So ended up, um, well, I think around June, so really late in the recruiting season, you know, West Texas A&M called me and uh, it was Omar called me and it was like 2 a.m. in the morning because I was a bit of a night owl back then. Um, and he was like, what are you doing, man? You're drinking beer up late? Like, what the heck, dude? That was the first thing like, said. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, no, nah, I'm actually just, you know, hanging out. And he, you know, we just got to chat in and we had a really good conversation. And um, he was just selling me on the uni. And at that point, it was either I take this offer or I don't like go to yeah. college, really. Uh, this is kind of was my last resort. So never even spoke to Butch. Butch is the WT men's coach. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast knows of a Butch. No. Um, never even spoke to him. And yeah, just ended up getting hooked up through Omar. And he said, you know, come here in August. He did the preseason, yada, yada, yada. So uh had to tell my club in Melbourne I was going to go there. And they're like, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm like, I know. Um, so ended up leaving for America and not knowing what I was getting into, saying goodbye to all my friends and family that I'd known for so many years. Pretty emotional experience, uh, really tough, because nobody else, you know, all my friends here have never really left. I'm the only one who's, like, left and lived abroad yeah. for so long. So, uh, yeah, I mean, got there, yeah. and I thought the level wasn't great. As soon as I got there, I was actually pretty disappointed. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing I really liked about college, though, was just the training every day and the exposure to uh, that kind of environment. I don't think yeah. you really get that in Australia as, as much as it should be. And that that's kind of the only thing I did like. I thought the play wasn't as good as what I'd come from, but I thought the, um, the consistent repetition of, of practicing and the weights and just all the combination of things I'd never really had exposure to was great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it kind of gives you the best of both worlds where you get to have that uh, more professional environment, the atmosphere with, you know, just your training regimen and your daily routine. Uh, But then you also get to get your education, you know, which is definitely important. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so it's it's the full package. So I mean, I started to realize that as I got through more preseason, and I was like, you know, this is what I make of it now. So I was obviously hundred percent invested, and I'd won the number one spot at that point. Then Butch pulled me aside one training session and goes, uh, "Pat, you're not cleared. You're not cleared by the NCAA." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "You didn't do enough science in Australia, you idiot." And I'm just like, what? What do you mean? I didn't do enough science. Like, so a great butch impersonation. To, like, keep doing it. Yeah. For the uh, rest, yeah, of, I got plenty for more. the rest of this story, <laughs> I want you to talk like him when you use his voice. <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent. So, uh, I had to like call the NCAA, and my dad was helping me out doing it as well, and it was just a mess. Long story short. I didn't like there was nothing I could do about it. Like I didn't do enough science apparently. You, you know how they have all these crazy requirements. 
like and, and I think Australian schooling is, is really good. Like, it's really hard. I had to work extremely hard in high school. Most Americans I speak to say they did no work in high school. So, you know, I don't know anyone in Australia who didn't work hard in high school because, like, how our system works is you get graded at the end of your uh, end of your high school and you get ranked against everyone in the state. And if you don't get ranked in a high enough percentile, you don't go to uni. Like, that's it. You have to do all these bridging courses and all that. So I was, like, a bit upset that I put all this effort into high school and it meant nothing in America, apparently. So I was like, all right, what's it going to be, Butch? And he's like, well, you can't play fall and spring. Fall and spring, can't play. But you can train. So I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, you know, I was obviously gutted at that point because I was such a waste. Just flew all the way to America uh, yeah, just to I train. Bet you were, so I bet you were first... not very happy at that time. Nah, not at all. I mean, because uh, I, I had the spot and, you know, I, I was the better keeper there by far. But, um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't, couldn't do anything about it. It meant nothing, which I'd never run into before. So I had to just, you know, train as hard as I possibly could during that time and kind of rebuild my confidence. Because when you don't play in a game for a long time, you don't really have that same sharpness. Obviously, when you're training all the time, you're still sharp. But I'd never gone so long without playing in any games. So I spent that full year, went back to Australia and come and played quite a few games over the summer or over the winter for you for us, some of you guys, um, played quite a few games and got ready for that first season, which I'd be eligible. And I got like into really good shape, like probably some of the best shape I'd ever been in in terms of like match sharpness. Uh, so got ready for that season. You know, Butch had been telling me, you know, Pat, although you can't play, uh, once you play when you're ready, you know. So I was just like, all right. So I'd already been given that vote of confidence by Butch uh, that I was going to be the man as long as I played well. And, yeah, I was ready to go for the season. Uh, showed up, and our team wasn't great. <laughs> um, I mean, we're, we were good. We just kind of lacked a little bit of punch and maturity. And we had a couple injuries that hurt us in preseason. So I think we ended up like 9-7-1 that year. But... I, I thought I had a really good year. I thought I started off, you know, a little bit hesitant because I'd never played so many games in such a short period of time. I was used to just playing every Saturday once a week and kind of having all that time uh, to recover. And then as as the season got on, I started getting accustomed to that. I, I started to play extremely well. And at the end, like... I think I had like six or seven clean sheets that first year and just, you know, found my rhythm and, um, you know, really got it gelling with the team. I think that's the biggest part is it takes time to gel with your back four. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And you know, that, that two weeks, three weeks of preseason, you can't build that. So you're kind of just going up based off of each other's ability, raw talent, kind of for the first part of the year. And then um, from there, then you can start building something a bit better. So, yeah, I mean, that first season wasn't great. Uh, And then that next year, I went on trial for Laredo Heat, which is like a a PDL team. And um, they were really good. It was a really good level. They had like a ton of guys from Mexico who had played first and second division and they were paying them like 800 bucks a week just to play in this PDL league because they were all cashed up. I don't know why they were paying them so much, but um, yeah, I mean, it was it was wild. Like a lot of these guys were, were really good players. So it was good to get that exposure again to like a high level and training twice a day in the simmering heat of 120 degrees of South Texas, like, yeah, I mean, it was brutal, but that'll definitely get you ready for it. preseason. Yeah, 100. percent Um, so then went into that season, we had a pretty tough year. I think we just that year, Division Two Conference is really hard, like especially where uh, West Texas plays, and we just had played like a ton of really tough teams like Fort Hayes twice, Midwestern twice, um, Fort Lewis, Mesa, like you name it. Like we played all the hard teams that year and we finished nine and eight. So it wasn't too bad. The, the biggest win we got was we beat St. Edwards away. I think they were ranked like 11th at the time. And yeah, we went up and so beat you, them at so their, your, their own your field. Your records in the two th- so, seasons were about the same, but you felt more encouraged by that second season for sure. Yeah, definitely. I just thought it was something to build off, even though we had gotten walloped a few times and didn't go as well as we'd planned. I just felt like those two years were rebuilding years. And even though the coaches tried to tell us, you know, that these were going to be good teams and yada, 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 they can say whatever they want, you know, that the pitch speaks louder and what everyone else says. I just think those two seasons were years that, as a team, we weren't, where we could be but the good thing was we were recouping a lot of players bringing in better players so we're building kind of towards my final season um so that final year i over the summer i played a bit for the houston dutch lions and i came back to canyon and just trained there so i'd spent like a full you know summer working hard i was ready to go and uh yeah, I just at that point at playing at college, I just felt like, you know, this I was way above this. Like it wasn't something that was challenging anymore. Um, so I, I kind of told myself going into that season, like, you know, you, you have to dominate this year. Like there should be no doubt in the back of your mind that you're going to play well every week and that you can, you know, be the best keeper in the nation. I just kind of had this confidence that, 
you know, I'd never really had before just because I felt like the coaches back me, the, the back four I had was really good. And Butcher is obviously a really defensive-minded coach. Um, and he had us set up, like, so tight. Like, we were, like, airtight back there. You know, just in terms of, like, I had to have – I had to be really good in the air. College for goalkeepers, I would say, is being good in the air, handling a ton of pressure from crosses uh, and things like that, and then just being good at shot-stopping, one-on-ones, things like that. There's not really that playing out the back component. So I kind of told myself, look, this isn't too bad. You only have to be good at two aspects of the game, and you can be like one of the best keepers in this whole league. So I was like, all right. Um, So I just focused really hard on just perfecting that and got to the season. And, yeah, we just got off to a flyer. Like we were just winning games, left, right, and center, keeping clean sheets. That year we had – 12 clean sheets in 20 games. Like, all back there. Yeah, it was madness. Uh, yeah, I know. And um, I think we only conceded like 13 goals total. And five of those came in one game. We got walloped by Midwestern. So, really, like eight goals in 19, 19 games. So, yeah, I mean, we were just like airtight. You know, we, the players that I had a really good relationship with, they understood how I played, I understood how they played. There was just there was no there was no doubt there was no hesitation, um, and I wasn't making any mistakes. It was like the first time in my career that I was just playing stretches of games without making any mistakes because I always felt that was something over my career. You know, a lot of goalkeepers make mistakes, and even in the top leagues, you'll see them make mistakes over time. Like the yeah. Hay is a big example of that. Um, he'll play he'll play really well, and then he'll he'll make a mistake here and there. I think it's important to have that ongoing consistency uh, in your play. That way, you just, you know, your team knows what they're going to get out of you. Everyone else knows, you know, and you're not going to let them down because nothing hurts a team more than when you concede some crappy goal that's gone yeah. through the, the keeper's hands it's just, and you've just worked it's hard just tough to try and get everyone up. Everyone makes mistakes, but your mistakes are much more magnified than anyone else's on the field. So, you know, you, 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 you can't make mistakes. Like everyone else is allowed to make mistakes, but goalkeepers are not allowed to make mistakes. And, and so, you know, if you're not getting regular games to where you can kind of get into a rhythm, then obviously you're going to be much more likely to make a mistake when you do get a game. So. Yeah, hundred percent. And the, how I always look at it is I'm competing with the goalkeeper down the other end. Um, like, he's he's trying to do a good job. I'm trying to do a good job. But really, whoever does yeah. a better job usually ends up winning the game. Like, if you have a keeper that's pulling off a ton of saves and a keeper that's just letting a couple soft ones in, because you're going to win most of those games. It just games. gives the team like, that security, having... that safety, you know, that, that, that feeling of, of safety yeah, to where exactly. they have the confidence to just push on and go forward to try to score because they're not so scared that they're going to, you know, concede. Yeah. I mean, it's everything. It's, it's, um, it's what all that soccer kind of relies on is, is that. So, and it's kind of like cheating in a lot of ways. If you have a really good keeper, it's keeping you in the game when you shouldn't even be in the game. And then you go down the other end and score 
some crappy goal because I went through the keeper's yeah. foot or whatever. Like, it's just like he shouldn't even be in this game, you know? And I, I've seen a ton of games go that way. And that's kind of the special part about it and why I always, for me personally, I'm competitive against the keeper on the other end because if he's pulling off a ton of saves, I let something go through my right. hands. What does that say about me? Like, uh, that, that's kind of how I've always looked at it. But, yeah, that season, um, I don't know, WT kind of just was always what could have been. <laughs> Best way to describe it. I mean, we had good players, good team. But if you looked at us on paper and how we set up to play, we just weren't good enough to beat those big teams. Like, yeah, sure, we beat St. Ed's once. But it was, it was like what I said. Like, it was one of those games where they dominated us. We scored two scrappy goals and went away and won. So, I mean, we we just – we never put enough pressure on those teams and we just kind of always – that's how we played, though, was we always tried to soak up a ton of pressure. But we never had that relief up front for players to go and score us some goals and win us games. Like, we never scored enough goals. We didn't really have an out-and-out striker. We didn't set up to play to help, like, an out out-and-out striker. He didn't get enough support around him, enough bodies, you know, balls in the box, things like that. So, yeah, we just, we didn't set ourselves up for success is kind of the, the best way to describe it against those big teams. We just thought we could bunker in, keep a clean sheet, score a crappy goal. You can't, can't really, it's not sustainable. Like, he, I, I just always felt like we played with so much fear Obviously, this came from the coaching end, but there was just so much fear of what if we go down? And if you look back on all the games I played in, anytime we went down first, we yeah. like always lost. Always. We like never really came from behind and beat teams. We never really had that bounce back. That response um, is really important yeah, for, mean, any, for any, uh, just, you know, top level team. Like you've got to be able to respond to adversity in any given moment in the game. So this was year yeah, three everything. for you playing, so, but year four at the school. Okay. Uh, yeah, year four at the school. So, uh, playing my last season, we we got knocked out like in the last twenty seconds in the conference tournament against St. Ed's, and yeah, I mean it was devastating. And the the worst part was there was just a ton of players I played with over those years because I came in. This was my mm. fourth year, but I only played three years. Uh, and you didn't, and you didn't like they were intend all gone. to stay for your like, fourth year you know, eligibility at that point. No, I mean, I just looked at the team. I trained with the team in spring, yeah. and it was it was just crap. I think it was Evan's final year. Um, you know, Evan got got made captain that year. Butch actually, and Butch put a sour taste in my mouth because he made me captain. I didn't go to like some food meeting or something. <laughs> I can't remember, something outrageous, like nutrition meeting, when I, I shouldn't have been intending that anyways. <laughs> it is a sports exercise science degree. Um, and I actually was doing a class in nutrition that semester. I didn't attend the meeting. And he, like, stripped captaincy of me. I was just That's like, true. what do you mean? Like, this is childish. Yeah. I'm not going to, like, put up with this anymore. And kind of in my head at that stage, I'd already been over college soccer. I was just like, yeah, like, it, it, it's good, but it, it's got a time limit. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm always been a, a small fish, big pond kind of guy. And I felt like I'd outgrown it. Like I broke 
school records and had a really successful time and done everything I felt like I needed to do there. And we always had a classic quote um, in Canyon, don't let the, the place outgrow you, you outgrow the place. Yeah. And I felt like I'd outgrown the place at that stage in terms of like what was left to achieve that season, looking at the team. And they, they didn't go on to do that well that year. I think on like nine, ten games, disappointing year. Um, so in, in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't stay. Um, and they ended up getting in a really good keeper after me. So it was a win-win for everyone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was disappointing when that came to an end. Um, but for that summer, after my final year, I got a really good offer for this team in Ohio called Toledo Villa uh, to go play up there. And when I played for them for a summer, that was a, an unreal experience. I just thought the, the level was really high. There was a ton of, like, D1 players from, like, University of Michigan, Bowling Green, um, Kentucky, like, really, really good players. And I lived with a host family up there as well, so it was just, like, a cool experience. Um, and at that stage in my life was kind of the really tough point because I was just turned 23, felt really sharp, and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my, with my life at time or what was going on. So uh, I also just got in a relationship as well. So I wanted to, to be with her at that time. So I decided to kind of put, you know, because I've chased soccer for so many years, for so long. I just kind of wanted to pursue other things I've been neglecting for a while and uh, decided to move to Dallas. That's kind of when my career took a, de- a definite hit is when I moved there because obviously th- there's just it's not the same setup you don't have college where you're training every day you don't have it like where you're in Melbourne where there's all these you know great teams and great players and everything's set up and been that way for years like it's just it's not where it was and you know that was something you and I had a lot of conversations about and really we, we were trying to grow it um, but it shouldn't be coming from the players you know, at the end of the day, um, this is something that's got to come from, uh, you know, board members, uh, coaches, things of that nature. The players shouldn't have to grow a league. I- I've never seen a successful league where players grow the league. It's the things that yeah, get done outside of it and that help it that's grow. That's a big problem here in the States is there. there's really no uh, bridge or transition at all for players just getting out of college to be able to take that next step. I mean, you've got the UPSL teams and NPSL and yeah, that's, I guess you can call it semi-pro, you know, that's debatable though, whether that even deserves that term, but um, really just depending on the club, you don't know what kind of an experience you're going to get. Of course we, you know, hold ourselves to a really high standard and, and with our premier team, pushing for those you know expectations so you're right it comes from the the club side but there is also the player side of it too and I think a lot of the players that play in those leagues or um or you know maybe are just looking at it as a stepping stone to something else don't take it seriously and so you can't get the commitment you need from them and then that frustrates players like yourself who are looking to train and take it seriously and 
and, you know, actually put in the work and the commitment that's required to be a professional, you know, to play at the highest level. So it, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a problem yeah. on both ends. There's only a few clubs like ours that do, you know, have, are, are, are doing their best, you know, with the resources they have to create that professional environment. But, you know, there's really just not many players that want to, to put in the time that it takes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the thing is, uh, at this age now that I'm at, and for a lot of these guys, there, there needs to be some added incentive. You know, when you're young, you're always working to be the best version of yourself so that you can go play professionally. That, yeah. that shift sailed, you know, at 25 um, at our age, it, it, I mean, you can try your hardest, you know, you do hear some Jamie Vardy stories, but even yeah. Jamie Vardy was playing at a really good level before he went pro. Like he wasn't playing just, right. you know, UPSL or anything like that. He was playing like Fleetwood town. Like this is a big club still, you know, like, so I mean to, to go from UPSL to MLS is, it's just absurd. Like it's not going to happen in our lifetime. If it does, you know, I'll be happy to be proved wrong. But that kid's got to be under 20 if he's going from UPSL to MLS. Like he's, you're not getting no 25-year-old go from UPSL to MLS. Maybe USL, but USL is still eh. Like, it's it's good, but I don't know. I didn't think it was that special. It's more of a de- uh, developmental thing, I think, rather than, like, that top level, you know, p- the fans are coming yeah. in to watch teams win well, kind of deal that's that's professional football for me is you're getting five thousand six thousand fans coming to watch a team win that they support with really good players you know like usl i mean you get a couple clubs like that but like even north texas like they're just a developmental team yeah. and they won the league so what does that say about the other yeah teams? and like, and things you know, like the that you know it is that way is because of the way that the american soccer structure is set up like you they they aren't professional leagues you know the 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 top usl division is technically a professional league but the rest of them are not professional leagues they are developmental leagues so you're gonna have developmental players developmental teams and hopefully they can develop into professionals with another club but those clubs will never be professional teams Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think until America can find a way to start paying players who are out of college, you know, it's just never going to be where it needs to be. Because why why should some 25-year-old kid who's already put his whole life in a soccer show up, train twice a week, spend all his money to get there and back and all this, this and that, and not get paid for it? Like, at our age, you know, we're, we're providing a service of entertainment. People come to watch these games. They pay, you know... Uh, tickets, you know, you're you're providing entertainment. You have to get paid for it now. Like, to have that incentive, I think. Otherwise, and and the thing is, if you start adding pay to it, people have that incentive and they now want to go and work harder because, you know, they can add something to their life or some value. Obviously, winning games is great and all, but I I don't think America holds much of a carrot for people to chase once they finish, um, you know, college. And that's why a lot of these guys don't care anymore because they're wore out. You know, I've, I've had times when I've been worn out 
like of getting kicked around and not getting opportunities and yada 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 which you know in hindsight it's like that's a me problem not a soccer problem but you know you, you have to remember these guys aren't getting compensated for their time and energy that they're putting into something and they're providing no, I, a, a really good service 100%. you know and there's right. also you know myself i'm a player but i also am a club owner so i'm able to see it from both sides and from the club's perspective it's like there's no you know incentive to win because there is less opportunity for promotion into higher leagues for you know earning uh bonus prizes for winning competitions or you know, advancing past rounds in, in certain tournaments or, you know, what have you. So there's less opportunity for the clubs to uh, advance themselves, to bring in the funds that they need to actually be able to pay players. If there was more of an incentive for clubs to actually win and, and operate efficiently off the field, then they would be able to provide the players more incentive to, you know, make the commitment that they're looking for. So it's just like a vicious cycle, man. And it really can't be fixed unless, you know, the system opens up for everyone because a lot of these smaller clubs just don't have the means to, to be able to give players the opportunities that they're really looking for. Ultimately, it's really only an opportunity for them to, you know, maintain fit, fitness, keep getting games and, you know, get video to be able to send on to people. But that's that's pretty much the extent of it, ultimately. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can think of a handful of really good games. I played in the UPSL where the level was good, uh, the engagement was good, but yeah. only really a handful of games, you know? Not, you should be getting it week in, week out. You shouldn't be pumping to some team 8-0 next week. You know, you're playing a really good team. Like, the, the consistency needs to be there. And um, No, what, what you touched on is really, really right in terms of the promotion. Like, what incentive is there to win the league in UPSL? What do you even get if you win UPSL? Is it just a bunch of cash? Like, that means nothing, really. I mean, yeah, sure, the cash is great. You split it a bunch of ton of people. Then what do you have? Like didn't have something you built for next season you know where you can go and progress and and challenge yourself again in a higher league and get you more know, exposure and, and with the UPSL that, they are just working kind of off. towards so, you know uh, a more open system within their league but it is its own entity and they're competing with you know the the likes of the MLS and the USL and the NPSL so you know how uh, how much they're able to to push their level of play is, uh, you know, to be seen. But um, they are at least attempting to create more of an open system with that promotion and relegation. So, you know, if you're in, like, Division Three, Division Two, then, yeah, there is a little bit of something to play for. You want to get pushed up. But, you know, still the league hasn't structured itself to the point where it's a clear promotion and relegation you might have teams drop out from season to season. So it's like sometimes you have yeah. two teams go up, but then maybe there was an extra team in the division above you that dropped out and they're not playing the next season. So now they got to pull up another team to make it even. And it's like, it's just really loose. 
And, you know, as you asked before with the, with the prize money, I mean, there's a $10,000 prize to win the national championship in the first division at the moment. That's what they have. That's nothing like that's, that's really not going to help a club, you know, that's not going to help them take their operations to the next level for the next season. That's not even really going to cover their cost to get to, you know, to, to, to get their whole team to whatever uh, location they're playing the national championship at, you know, when, when you factor in hotel and travel and all that, like probably costs more than that. So there's really just not much in it for, for us at the moment, but I just, I, I feel like they're trying to do it the right way. So we want to see if they can. And that's why we're sticking with them and we're going to keep, you know, doing our part to help them grow too, because ultimately they need clubs like ours that are professional and organized and are going to make the league look good because at the moment there's just not enough support from the league. So I don't know how other leagues operate. I only have experience with the UPSL at the moment, like up to this point. So um, I couldn't tell you what USL is like or NPSL, but yeah, it's just it's it's tough on the club's part, you know, to be able to give players uh, more support whenever they don't have support themselves. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, I think there's a PDL set up pretty well, yeah. pretty well, but that's really for the younger college kids. Um, but no, I mean, the, the UPSL is doing a really good job in, in trying to grow things. You, you got to give it that. They're, they're putting themselves out there. They're trying with what they have. They obviously don't have much, but, you know, they're really putting themselves out there. And that, that's yeah. something you got to be positive about. That at least somebody's trying and trying to make something happen. And that, that's something everyone can look forward to. Obviously, it's not where it needs to be yet, um, which hurts players like you and me because, you know, we're in the twilight of our careers. Um, so we need something now. But it's going to help kids in the future, which is good, you know. Um, that, that's really the end goal is, is yeah. not now. So you've been back home sucks now for, us. <laughs> I guess it's been, when did you leave? You, you, you did a little Euro trip for a month, but you left the U.S. and headed back home about – August or September, correct? Yes. So I left in September, traveled for a bit, and then got back uh, and moved to Melbourne in like January. Uh, and yeah, I mean, when I when I got back, I was just hundred percent focused on working and playing soccer. I mean, kind of probably what I should have done when I was twenty three, but um, you know, is what it is. Can't. It is sunk cost, you know. You can't look back on things that have happened. So uh, I'm doing it now, and I'm re- I'm really enjoying it until coronavirus showed up. Um, so I mean, I got linked up with a good club, uh, you know, and we we started doing well. We won a couple of FFA Cup games, which is like the U.S. Open Cup. So we were making a good little run in that. Um, we we're about to have our first game, and everything got called off. So. Um, it's all right. I mean, I'm just trying to stay fit now and be ready for when uh, I can give this a real go. Uh, and you know, the, the frustrating part is just having all this time yeah. on and off. You know, when I was younger, I was always on, like, 12 months of the year, training, working hard. Now, like, when I'm older, it's, it's tough. 
to get that same time commitment. Even though I've got more experience now and I'm more knowledgeable, I probably don't need as much training yeah. as I used to. You, you still need that that repetition, just doing it as much as possible to really bring out the best in you. Anyone who tells you any different is not reaching their full potential, really. I mean, if you're not working 100% hard and you're playing well, yeah, sure, great. But imagine where you could be playing if you were working 100% hard. You could be playing, you know, wherever. So it's it's... It's what you make of it, of course, which is good. You're just fighting yourself. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, the, the disappointing part for me was I was going to take this season to rebuild, uh, find out where I'm at, because um, it was a good club for doing that. They put a lot of faith in me. Uh, were ready for me to, to impress, and it was a good league. And then this happened, so maybe it might take a little bit longer, but the goal is for me to get a year of playing at a good level and the year after, I'm going to go try and start. For well, one of the, the good top news is, man, like you're still only 25. You know, you might think that that's a little bit past it, which it may be. But as a goalkeeper, especially, you have more time. So 25 is not too old. You still have time to make some things happen, and and uh, I believe you can. You know, so keep pushing. Obviously, don't you know use this time wisely, like. You know, you, you have an opportunity now to just get fitter than you've ever been, you know, with nothing else to do. So might as well do that and then uh, come back just on a different level. You're really you're really not losing time. You're just delaying it, you know. So, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I agree with that. So. Yeah, it'll be a good opportunity once this is all done. Definitely. But, um, yeah, it's just a shame. Well, honestly. hopefully we can get through all this but, soon. Yeah, I mean, it's what you we'll make of it. get back to normal. But it's definitely going to be a different normal. It's not going to be the same normal that, that we knew before. So we'll just have to adjust as we do as humans and uh, figure out how this new way of living is going to be. Um, so what's next for you, Pat? Like, you know, wh- what what are you, what are you hoping to do? Yeah. Uh, what are you hoping to accomplish over the next year, five years? You know, what's 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 in your future? Uh, well, it, it's just soccer and, and uh, work, basically. I'm trying to build my career yeah. in finance in the stock market, learning as much as possible about that. And then also just trying to get as good as I can at, at soccer. So as long as I have those two things... You know, you really need that constant, uh, that thing you're always chasing, then you, you can keep yourself grounded. I think when you lose sight of what, what's important to you is when you start drifting away a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I'll get soccer back soon. Right now I'm just focusing on work, trying to build a career for that. And, yeah, I mean, that's about it. I mean, during this quarantine, I know we touched on this a bit about, um, you know, watching full matches is a really good idea. Uh, you know, when uh, on YouTube, there's just a ton yes. of highlights. Highlights are great, but it doesn't give you the full picture. So, yeah, I mean, it's important to have that full picture of a game, you know, because even the best players make mistakes. And you got to see how that made, how that happened, how they could learn from it, um, you know, what they could have done differently. And it, it's a good opportunity, I think, for younger Definitely. players especially. 
is to watch a ton of well i'm glad you brought that up because and really uh, learn as uh, much as possible actually, a couple episodes ago i was talking about what i've been doing you know with my boys the, the o nines to keep them active and engaged during this time and so you know i i told everyone that was listening about a little competition that we're doing where basically they're grouped up by position uh they have a minimum requirement of three individual training sessions per week which you know essentially would replicate two team practices and one game on the weekend so we're trying to you know continue to maintain that that schedule that discipline with them and um the first couple of weeks in quarantine i was not really getting that much uh you know of a response from my players i was getting maybe about 60% on average uh completion rate the assignments thing out and so the three training sessions was one part of it, but then the other part was the match analysis too. So we've had them watch a few games now, and um, basically they've either got to, you know, depending on the assignment, but um, the, 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 the recent ones we've been doing are individual player analysis. So we'll have them watch a specific player. We want them to identify a player on each team that plays their specific position, and they've got to uh, answer some reflection questions on them. So some of the questions, you know, talk about what the player does in and out of possession and then what they do in transition, some of the things that they like about the player that they want to incorporate into their own game. So, of course, we're having them watch a lot of games that represent our philosophy, the way that we want them to play. Um, you know, on YouTube, it seems like, every single full match available is Barcelona or Real Madrid. So it's easy to find one, you know, from Barcelona and they obviously set a good example, but you want them also watching the other team's player as well. So they can see, you know, what the opposite looks like that way when we get to situations in games where, you know, maybe we're playing a team that's better than us, or maybe we're missing some players that doesn't allow us to play the way we usually play they can make adjustments because they understand the game on a deeper level. So, you know, we'll have Zoom meetings every week and kind of just uh, have discussions about the game. I'll have each player kind of kind of go through uh, their, their, their player and, and talk about what they saw. And, and now after having done two of those sessions, I'm noticing I'm getting a lot of the same answers from the players. You know what I mean? So it's like, I feel like it's starting to become more of a automatic response rather than them actually, you know, uh, evoking some sort of deep thought about what they're actually seeing. You see what I'm saying? So what I'm trying to figure out is what can I do with these match analysis mm -hmm. assignments to create more engaging discussions at the end of the week? What do you think? Well, I think uh, a good a good point is that we actually had a coaches meeting here in Australia about it, on uh, getting our players more engaged during this time off. You know, same thing for your academy, same thing for ours. Uh, so one thing we're looking at is asking open-ended questions. So asking your players, when did you see a full switch ball played? At what time? And what part of the foot was used or th things of that nature. So 
is us is not getting them to do like yes no type questions or things like that. It's trying to get them to answer questions where they had to think or really look at the uh, game to find these pieces of play. Because you know, usually in a game of football, you can get some uh, um, all of the tactical uh, components of it play out at some stage. Uh, so, I mean, whether it be at the end of the game, they're throwing the, the kitchen sink, they've brought a, you know, tall player on to, to try and hold the ball up. It, it could, it could be anything. Um, we, we, as goalkeepers, were looking at when did he receive a back pass and, uh, find the fullback, how many touches did he take? Where was the position of the ball, uh, in relation to his body when he took that touch? Uh, where was his position? receiving the ball uh and you know was there any kind of hand gesture or uh any kind of cue or signal given uh and why and the context of the game why did they play that ball there when they're losing one nil you know just try and get it as open-ended as possible so that you're making it like a diary for these kids exactly like they're writing you know it's like they're playing the game at that stage so that that's I think that's the best way to get that engagement is, is getting open ended questions and getting them really to think and dive into it. Otherwise, I mean, yeah, you could just do anything and be like, Oh, did Barcelona score? Yes. Like, how did they score? They shot really really hard from a long way out. Like yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, you have to and have that like yeah, direct that's a good point. Um, uh, I thinking. Like a lot. I'll definitely try and, and think about questions that I can ask that are um that are a little bit more engaging in that way, uh, you know, but the, the questions that we do have them answering are, are open-ended, you know, but we're tending to find that they're answering them all in the same way because we have them watching, you know, the same teams or similar teams that play in a similar way. Right. So they're, they're, I feel almost as if they're answering the way that we would want it to be answered, right? The way that we would want it to be, uh, the way that we want to hear it instead of really truly watching the details. So like to me, you can watch a game in two different ways. One is from more of a player's perspective and then one is obviously more of a coach's perspective. And I want to teach them how to watch the game from a player's perspective, like you were saying watching little tiny details and cues that, 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 that um, create certain signals. You know, watching what a player does off the ball. And, and if you're watching a player, only watching them off the ball. And watching what they do, the movements they make, the, you know, when they check their shoulder, how they open their body. Like, you know, those little details are super important. And you can only, you can only get them if you're truly truly focused on the game for what it is and not just watching it because it's an assignment or watching it because it's on right like or just watching it for the entertainment the goals but actually watching it to get something out of it for an education Yeah, definitely. No, I, I agree with that. You, you make a really good point there. Uh, it, it's just something that they have to fully commit to. And I think as long as you bring up that importance of 
you know, doing this in this time because you probably won't ever get a better time to actively sit and watch football because I'll even admit myself, I don't really like watching soccer that much unless, like, um, it, it's a game I've been wanting to watch for a while or something like that. Like, I get a bit suckered out every now and then. I love playing it because I, I feel like I'm contributing something, but watching too much of it, it's, it feels more like a binge, like you're playing video games or something like that. Because it is that time consuming. So you have to, you have to yeah. really, if you're going to watch something, you have to be 100% into it or don't even bother at all. So as long as you're, you're stressing that and, you know, you're not bogging kids down with a ton of assignments, you're giving them one. But the one assignment that they do, they full on go into it. Like all the games I remember watching, are all the games I've been full on into it. And I could like tell you instances from that game about when certain things happened immediately. Um, but, yeah. you know, like I've watched a ton of games where I wasn't engaged. Couldn't tell you a thing about that game. So it's just making sure that they're on that page of engagement. Um, maybe even giving them games where it doesn't tell the score, like, or how the game unfolds or anything. And then just being clueless about how this game is going to go and, um, you know, what they might be looking for. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you can get different exposure to different leagues, like maybe getting like an Italian league game, you know, it's so different to watching Spanish football, like things like that, you know, it, it, that, that's what I find yeah. exciting is watching different styles. And that's why I'm looking for I'm a bit Barcelona other, out, other if you ask me. I, <laughs> I know you definitely are. Yeah. Uh-huh. that I can really find. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to look for... Bayern Munich games, Ajax games, like, you know, even Liverpool yeah. games or Man City games, there's not really many of them. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of teams that play good football out there that, you, like, we just, I mean, it's Barcelona and Real Madrid are just so massive that they're always going to dominate those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, I think the book got fixated on Barcelona for a long time about the style of play. But I think now it's gradually getting more towards uh, a progressive style of play. So just depending on how the game is flowing or being adaptive to it, you know, you don't stick to just maybe one game plan. You've got to have a couple of tricks up your sleeve now, which is which is good. And it's turning into more of an attacking game. Uh, than I yeah. think it ever has. Like, if you see the Champions League, all, all the games now are just blowing up in score. Like, it's it's turning more into, you know, you're not really keeping clean sheets yeah. anymore. It's how many goals can we put away so we don't, you know, outscore them now that outscored. So, yeah, I mean, I think from a tactical side, you can get some of those games in, especially for attacking players. Some of the runs that these guys are making are just incredible. Um, and they're doing it for 90 minutes. So if you can get some of those, yeah, that would, I would yeah. hopefully get some engagement. If you can't get engagement, some of them, hey, you know, <laughs> I don't know what not you can, all so. of them are. You're gonna be able to convert. Like they're, like you said, even high level players like get burnt out of it to where they don't really want to watch soccer when they're not playing. You know, so and I, I obviously am fully immersed in soccer all the time. So, you know, I can relate to that as well, but. Um, if you're a student of the game, if you're like just coming up and, and trying to develop as a young player, that that stuff is so, 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 so important. Yes.
Yes, yeah, you have to invest that time when you're young. Um, that's where I did all of my watching and learning. Um, and yeah, I mean, it definitely helps. Definitely, definitely helps more than anything. Uh, you know, once you get to minus Sean's age, you can take a back seat a little bit more. I'm not saying we know everything, but um, I'm sure we've seen most things that there are to be seen on a football pitch at this stage. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you have to do it. If you want to be good, you have to, you have to have that engagement off the pitch watching games because I can't think of any top-level footballer that made it there and never watched high-level games, you know? Like, every kid talks about it, you know? I dreamed about being this kid uh, when I was younger. Every, like, Ronaldo would be like that too. Everyone dreams about being something, and you have to have that ongoing belief, and you have to drive that through watching these games to keep you motivated. And it makes you – sometimes it makes you feel like you're them. Obviously, you're not, but um, you can – get that similar level of of mindset oh, yeah, that's to see what they thing. were doing that visualization in that. And, is, you know, you can bring things into your game. It's also very important and and comes along with watching those games because you can actually picture yourself making the movements they make and, you know, certain certain details like, like you were uh, discussing before. So, you know, yeah, that's that's great, man. I, I really appreciate your time. I'm glad that we were able to finally sit down and have this chat because I really enjoyed just hearing your story in, in full detail. So thanks so much for sharing, man. I have just a few more questions, though, before we uh, hang up on each other. Oh, yeah, go for it. What else would I be doing? Obviously, looking back on your journey, you've had a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> um, what would you say were your biggest challenges and, and what did you do to overcome them? Uh, I would say just getting knocked back from professional football for so many years, obviously really, really disappointing, never signing a pro contract, even though I've been in the pro environment. So it's something that's, you know, obviously encouraging because I feel like I've had that taste. I've been able to do it. I've just never had the actual contract. So, you know, I, at least when my, my career is over, I can say I gave it a good go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just getting knocked back from that. Um, the, the biggest challenges for me was kind of just that Dallas period where I wasn't um, playing at the level I deserved, getting the exposure. Um, it, there was just a lot of things that... I've kind of left with a sour taste in my mouth about how I treated football for that period of time. So being able to come back here and kind of have like a second life on it feels like, feels like a blessing really, you know, it's, it's something that that's massive for me. And if I didn't have it, um, well, it, it seems I, I like know. it has kind of woken you up. I don't know what I'd be doing, but happier, it would be good. More just like, <laughs> um, enthusiastic about life knowing that you have the opportunity to do as you want again. So I'm happy to see it, my man. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, it's something we we both deserve. You deserve too. I mean, I know you've been through a bit yeah. of hardship with football as well over the years, trying to get everything going in that Dallas area. <laughs> So I know you're on the same page of, of getting just burnt out. I, that's kind of the best way to describe it. Just burnt out, showing up to things, and then just, you know, grinding you down. 
um, and not yeah. getting what you're, what you're putting into it. Cause the amount of effort and energy you want to put into it, you're just getting none of it back. So I feel like your time will come as well. Um, and hopefully after this quarantine, uh, things will pick up a bit more. Yeah. Maybe people have had time to think and, and change some things. Uh, obviously you have too. So yeah. I oh mean, yeah. No, I, 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 I fully expect it, to there's come no out reason we can't come side, out on the so, better end of this you know, for sure. I'm just doing what I got to do to make sure that happens. So when, when you look, you know, at the challenges you faced yeah, and how you yeah, uh, overcame them, it seems like, seems like you just have, you know, the, uh, the desire to push yourself to your absolute limits and um, you're not afraid of failure at all. And when you experience it, you just keep going forward because you know you're capable of more. Why do you think that when people face some of the challenges that you faced, way, uh, but when they face those challenges, why do they stop? Why do they fail instead of just carrying onward? Uh, I mean, it's just the easy road. It's it's always easy to quit something when it when it gets tough. So, uh, I think if you're a hundred percent invested into something, no matter what it throws at you, you, you can just keep bouncing back. Like during this last preseason, I had, I just got my face kicked in. I had this huge black eye, and like could have had some serious eye damage for weeks. <laughs> Luckily, it wasn't much. But it was horrible. I could barely see a miss work and everything. I looked like a thug. And then, like, I just sprained my pinky and I rolled my ankle. Like, all these things happened. And the only thing I could think about was getting back on the pitch. Like, I'm not even thinking about, like, I don't even want these things to happen. And milk them or be going around training me. Oh, I'm hurt. And, uh. Like, I just want to be over it. Like, I just want to get out there and play. Like, that's it. You know? You can... I find yeah. over the years, there's a ton of people who talk and just talk, 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 but it's just all about the playing, you know? Um, I, I, that was a huge thing in Dallas. I get all these coaches who would just talk for hours Let's about go. being motivated and all this crap. I'm like, I'm, I'm here, motivated, you know? Like, you, you don't need to motivate me anymore. Like, yeah, I know. So, yeah, it, it's just having that, that, that mindset of if yeah. you're going to show up, you know, you're 100% invested or it's not for you. You know, go find something else that is for you. So that, that's not a bad thing either. It's not for you. You just got to figure it out. Um, the sooner you can figure out these things and, and uh, decide on them, the better. The, the quicker you can move on with life and start enjoying, you know, what you're good at. Because um, I've seen a ton of footballers over the years who are obsessed with it and want to do well at it. And I, I'm probably one of them. Um, but they're not good enough to, to make it at that level where they need to be. And um, it, it can be really discouraging, but you just got um, to keep on going and pushing it and pushing past it and seeing where you can take it to its final destination. Because you don't know where that final destination can be. I mean, it could be not probably not for me, but a pro contract. It could be, you know, for me at this stage, it'd probably be like playing in a summer professional team, really high level. Um, you know, great training, great club, good pay. Like, you know, why not? Well, why couldn't I get all those things and, and make the most of it and make it worth my time? So 
that's kind of how I see it now. Is just is I love it, pushing man. it I to its it. full you potential that in the end, head. and you have to be so on that. So, what is your definition of greatness? Uh, greatness is just waking up and having the same mindset you did the previous day, not wavering. Um, that, that that's greatness for me. Like, you know, I, I think Simon touched on it in his about Ronaldo, where he won a won a cup and he got home and he got in the gym that same night. Like, you know, that that's greatness. It, it's it's just consistently just throwing everything you have at it and not wavering for a day, a minute. Uh, in terms of energy, inspiration, seeing and believing. You know, there's been stages in my career where I've had that energy and that's what I'm hoping to get back again, um, where mm-hmm. I'm just 100% on the right page. Like, it, it's called flow state is what it's called. You're playing, you're, not, you're doing things without even, like, thinking. Like, I can remember specific games where I've made decisions and they, they were the right decision. And I, I think back and I'm like, how did that even happen? How did I even think to make that decision back in that stage, which turned out to be great? Like, it's just like instinct. It's all this training. It's all this hard work. You're in your flow state. But you have to, you have, to have everything right in your mind uh, to get into that, you know? And, and it comes from your, your social life. It comes from everything you do. Man, there's that's there's so, so good. many buckets that's so good right that there. go into... 